Before we open our Bibles, I do want to make mention of one other announcement. Uh, For several years running before last year, we as a congregation took the month of August to remind ourselves of the importance of hospitality. We did what we call the, the, the First Peter 4.9 project. First uh, Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And so what we do is not seek to only show hospitality in August, but take August as a reminder that we ought to always be showing hospitality to one another. So I want you to if, you, if you're not praying through your membership role, you should be. We're praying through it little by little each week. You get an email on Monday. But also, get your calendars out and find that date and begin to think, who, Lord, do I not know so well? The idea of hospitality is to not… you don't know people as well coming in, and you're more like family as they go out. Strangers become friends. Friends become family. That's what hospitality does over time. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And we have in the past posted pictures, not to brag or to show off, but for me, it encourages me to see people uh, showing hospitality, to actually doing what the Bible… Obedience encourages obedience. And so uh, I want you to, uh, to consider doing that. We'll talk more about that in future. But that's in August. You don't have to wait until August to show hospitality. Nor do you have to cease showing hospitality, nor should you, because August is over. But we want to be those who show hospitality without grumbling, and so uh, that's what's coming up. So if you'll take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, that's where we'll be in the first 19 verses this morning. We'll read those verses in just a moment, but I wonder... How is it that we learn to pray? Now, certainly there are teaching tools like the acrostic acts. Uh, This is a helpful tool. So A stands for adoration in our prayer. We should adore and praise God. C is for confession of our sin. T being for thanksgiving for all that God is doing and has done in our lives and in our families. And S is for supplication, a word that means to make requests, to to come to God and ask for His help. And tools like this are good, but if, if we limit ourselves to just reading the Bible, how is it that the Bible teaches us to pray? Well, one of the main ways we learn prayer in the Bible is through examples. So, we see Jacob wrestling with God. We see Solomon asking for wisdom, Hannah begging the Lord to give her a son, David confessing his sin, Jehoshaphat praying for God's help in battle, Nehemiah asking for God's favor with the Persian king before he goes in, Jesus surrendering His will to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but yours be done. The the pages of the Bible are littered with prayer, and each prayer does teach us something about prayer, how we can pray. And that includes this one in Daniel chapter 9. In the middle of all the prophecy of Daniel 7 to 12 comes this prayer. It's one of the longest and most beautiful prayers that is recorded in the Bible. 
And, uh, what we, and we learn something of prayer from this prayer because in it we see a connection. There's a connection between God's words and Daniel's prayer. Now, think about your own devotional life for just a moment. I mean, some of you might say that you are really strong in the discipline of reading your Bible day by day. But you might also say that your prayer life is anemic. Some of you would say, well, I, I pray all the time. I, I pray all the time, but I seem to pray the same things over and over. And at the same time, you might say that your Bible reading, well, I don't read the Bible so much as I pray a lot. Well, did you know that these two are meant to be connected? And what we see here is that God's Word and prayer are connected. God's Word actually prompts Daniel to pray, and that is the example for us in this prayer. That's the, the idea that I want to focus in on is that God's Word should prompt us to pray. Now, next week, we're going to see the connection between Daniel's prayer here and what comes after, Daniel's prayer and all of the prophecy that's being unfolded. But as it were, I just want to carve out this prayer because I think it's worth our time. It's worth our time to look at and to focus on. And so let's, let's read before we go on. Read, uh, I'll begin in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. If you're using a Bible in the pew and, and you don't know how to get around it, Daniel chapter 9 is on page 746 of that Bible. And so I will begin reading. This is what the Spirit says. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets, who spoke to your, in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers. Because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against Him. 
He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for Yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Let's pray briefly. Our Father, as we look at this text, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us for Jesus' sake. Amen. God's Word should prompt us to pray. So first, I want us to look at God's Word or God's promises. We've already seen that Daniel is a man devoted to praying. We saw that back in Daniel 6. His prayer life almost led to his death when he was cast into the lion's den. But here we see that Daniel is not simply a man of prayer. He is a man who is devoted to the Word of God. In the first few verses here, he, he's reading Scripture. Just listen to it. In the, in, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. He is... He is reading Scripture, and he is seeking to understand it. And as he's reading, as he's seeking to understand it, the light comes on. There is a connection between what God is saying in His Word and what's happening in Daniel's life. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You seem to be just reading along in the Bible. You're just reading along, minding your own business. And all of a sudden, the light comes on because what God is saying there in this part that was just part of your daily Bible reading. It was on the schedule to read for today. And the truth that God is speaking there comes and makes intersection 
with your life right where it is. That's because the Bible is relevant all of the time. It's not just relevant some of the time, and some of it is not just relevant all of the time. All of it is relevant all of the time. It all speaks to us of who God is and what He has done and what He expects of us and who we are and how we've fallen and what it means to be reconciled to Him and what it means to live for Him as reconciled people. And here in Daniel's reading, Daniel reads something and he says, aha, he perceived in the books. Well, what's he reading? Well, most likely, well, he says the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, and uh, one of the places that's very likely that he's read is Jeremiah chapter 25. In Jeremiah 25, beginning around verse 8, the Lord says that he is going to bring devastation on Jerusalem because of their sin. He's going to do it through Nebuchadnezzar. But then he says this, beginning in verse 11. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Then after seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So in Jeremiah 25, God says He will punish Babylon and lay them waste. And, and if you remember, when Darius is now there, God has actually done that. At the end of chapter 5, the last king of Babylon, Belshazzar, dies. And immediately, Darius the Mede is now in power. And that Darius in chapter 5 is this Darius in chapter 9. And so you can imagine, Daniel's you can imagine, you imagine because so you remember that moment, right? Daniel chapter 5. Daniel speaks to Belshazzar and says, Your days are numbered. You've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And your kingdom's going to be handed over to the Medes and the Persians. And that night, Belshazzar is killed. And Darius is on the throne. And Daniel wakes up the next morning for his morning Bible study. And he reads Jeremiah 25. Can you imagine what happens? Oh my goodness, this is actually speaking about us. But there's more. You see, Jeremiah hadn't just prophesied. He had actually written a letter to the exiles in Babylon. And we have it as Jeremiah chapter 29. All right? And so, let me read part of that letter. Now, you're going to hear familiar language, language that's been sewed on pillows and framed in frames, but it was first sent in a letter to a specific people at a specific time facing a specific calamity, to the exiles that are in Babylon. This is what he said. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. People in exile might wonder if God knows what His plans are. Don't you you remember the whole blessing the whole world through us promise, God? Don't you remember the promise of the land, God? God says, I know the plans I have for you. For our plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
Then you will call upon my name, call upon me, and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Right at the beginning, he says, when the 70 years are completed. So there's this 70 years in Jeremiah 25. There's this 70 years in Jeremiah 29. And this is what clicks in Daniel's mind. 70 years is a lifetime, people. Right? That's what Psalm 90 says. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. And Daniel has lived a lifetime in exile. He went when he was a teenager, and now he's in his 80s, and he's still in Babylon. But did you notice that what God said would actually happen at the end of 70 years? It wouldn't just be this magical moment. No, what will happen? Verses 12 and 13, it'll be on the screen. You will call upon my name and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So Daniel reads, when the 70 years are over, the 70 years is when the king of Babylon's done, the 70 years is now, and God says we'll pray and we'll find him. So what does Daniel do? He prays. Verse 3, chapter 9, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You see, God promised that He'd restore His people, and He promised that He'd do it in response to prayer. Now, many people wonder about the relationship between the sovereignty of God and our praying. I mean, if God has absolute power and absolute control over absolutely everything, over absolutely every molecule at absolutely every moment of human history, then why should I pray? I mean, isn't God just going to do what God's going to do? Shouldn't we just shrug our shoulders and say, if it's going to be, it'll be? Is that how we should handle things? Well, actually, no. But it's a good question, isn't it? It'll leave you scratching your head. But if you answer it the wrong way, you know what it'll do? It'll kill your prayer life is what it'll do. It'll stop you from praying altogether. Well, what I can say, I mean, there is a great mystery here, isn't there? The sovereignty of God and the prayers of His people. All I can tell you is that God has ordained that His sovereign, unchangeable, undefeatable purposes will come about through the prayers of His people. So let me give you a couple of examples outside of this text. If we were to go backward to Isaiah chapter 37, and you can just write that down for your own study this afternoon. Isaiah chapter 37 Hezekiah is king of Judah, and Assyria is knocking on the door about to attack Jerusalem. Now, 
Isaiah actually prophesies to some servants of Hezekiah and says, tell the king this, Assyria ain't going to win. Now, that's southern Hebrew, all right? Assyria ain't going to win. But Hezekiah is still concerned, and so he prays and he calls on the Lord to act. And in the very verse after that, God responds through Isaiah. Isaiah says, thus says the Lord, and then he says this, because you have prayed. Don't you, you should be surprised by that. He didn't say, because I promised that the Assyrians wouldn't win. Because I'm faithful even when your faith shrivels, Hezekiah. He doesn't say, because I'm faithful, because I'm powerful, because... What does he say? Because you have prayed. God's purposes moved forward through His people's prayers. Now, the second example actually comes from the end of the Bible, one of the last verses in the Bible. In Revelation 22, verse 20, Jesus, the risen Christ, makes this wonderful promise, Surely I am coming soon. And the immediate response from the Apostle John through his pen is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Why not? Why pray for it? Jesus is going to return. Because this is how God's purposes move forward through the prayers of His people. Prayer is God's means of moving His agenda forward for the world and for our lives. So, so what is it that God has promised in the midst of our suffering? Well, He has not promised relief in every situation, though He does mercifully give it, and we can ask for it. But what does He promise He intends? He promises spiritual growth. So, while we pray for relief, we must also pray for God's promises in suffering. We must pray that God will grow our character, that God will strengthen our endurance, that God will give us faith to rely on Him and not on ourselves, that God will grow us in Christ-likeness. Because these are the things that God has guaranteed He will do as we seek Him in our suffering. What is God's promise? What does God say with regard to our lost family and friends? Well, He promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, how ought we to pray? We ought to pray that God will open people's eyes and open their hearts and that they will call on the Lord. Why? Because God will save them. He has said it. What has God promised with regards to His church? He said He will build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So how ought we to pray? God, protect your church. Build your church in your way, in your power, through your Word. You do it. Just on Thursday, Susan and I got to spend some time uh, with our, I'm not going to say their name because things are actually really awful in India right now. 
But if you're members, you know our mission partners in India. And if you don't know their names yet, you can come to me. But they, they, they lead a ministry there that we partner with. We got to spend several hours with them on Thursday. And just, they were literally on the brink of tears most of the time that we were with them. Because it's not simply that, I mean, COVID was awful in India. The news here doesn't cover it nearly like they experienced it on the ground. And then when the Delta variant got there, it ramped up all over again to where something like, I think they said, about 33% of Delhi, which which is millions of people, were down and there's 60,000 hospital beds, all of them full, people dying outside the hospital, all these things. But in addition to that, two years ago, the anti-Christian government in India was re-elected. And so persecution has ramped up. And part of, and, and some guys who are trying to get folks out of jail have been identified, though they are secret. We didn't even know about it, though they are secret. And they're being targeted by the Indian government. Not only that, you know the organization Compassion International? Threw them out of the country. They cared for like 185,000 orphans there. Do you know why? Because they didn't want them to grow up and be Christians. That's why. So what do we pray for the church in India? Lord, you have promised the gates of hell will not prevail Protect your church in India. Build your church in India. Prayer is God's means of moving His agenda forward. And God's agenda for the world, do you know where it's found? I won't give you any hints. It's in His Word. That's why God's Word is what prompts Daniel's praying. God's Word laid out the agenda. This is what I'm going to do, and I'll do it when you pray. So Daniel prays. But let's move on and think about Daniel's prayer. Now, to be honest, these 19 verses that we've read are are worthy of a sermon series within itself on prayer. And, but, and, you know, uh, because the, the themes here are deep and they are rich, and maybe one day we'll come back and do just that. But for now, I just want to point out four things about this prayer that he prays. First, his confession, Daniel's confession. If you remember all of the pronouns as you went through, it was all we and our Daniel's confession isn't they have done something. Daniel's confession of sin is that we have done something. Daniel knows he is a sinner. He knows it is our sin that is why we are in exile. And so let me just, let me just summarize. Let me just point out a few words, first of all. Look at verse 5. Just look at all the different words that he uses. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside. Verse 6, we've not listened. Verse, the end of verse 7, we've committed treachery. Verse 9, we have rebelled. Verse 10, not obeyed. 
Verse 11, transgressed, refusing to obey, sinned at the end of verse 11. He doesn't just use one word. He just goes on and on. So let me, let me just kind of summarize what Daniel says and how he says it. Okay, in verses 4 and 5, he says, Lord, you are faithful to keep your covenant. We have turned away in rebellion. Also in verses 4 and 5, you are great and good. We are wicked and sinful. Verse 6, you have spoken your word to us. We have not listened to you. Verses 7 and 8, you are righteous. We are shameful. 9 and 10, you are merciful and forgiving. We are disobedient rebels. 11 and 12, you have kept your promise of judgment. We still haven't listened. Did you notice that? Verse 12, uh, sorry, verse, uh, what is it? Verse 12, what did I say? Verse 12. Well, that's, no, that's actually verse 13. Well, my numbers are off, but it's there. Verse 13, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God. All this came upon us, and we still haven't turned to you, Lord. He goes on to say, you are right to judge us. We deserve it all. In verse 15, you are a great Savior. We are great sinners. Now, in all this, I don't know if you noticed, the way I summarized it was on purpose because Daniel sees his sin, sees the nation's sin in light of God's character. He doesn't just see sin as things going wrong on earth between human beings. He sees sin as it is meant to be seen first, which is an affront to heaven. This is like David in Psalm 51, who had sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and the entire nation of Israel. And yet he says, against you and you only have I sinned. He sees his sin first as against God, and all sin is first against God. So you see, the more that we study and meditate on God's character the more accurately we will see the depth and darkness and depravity of our sin. This is part of why when you only pray and you don't read the Bible, your prayers can seem so repetitious and, and empty and I, I just don't feel like I'm growing. The, the, the greatest way to grow your prayer life is by reading the Bible because it will feed your understanding of who God is. And it will remind you of what God can do and how God saves and how God changes us. But the other thing to notice, did you notice how much time Daniel spends in confession? If you count it, it's like 75% of the prayer. I wonder, how much time do we spend confessing? In your own prayer life, 
If you were to write it down in verses, how, much of your, how many verses of your prayer life would be confession of sin? How many different words would we use to describe the wickedness of our sin against God? How often are we overwhelmed with the greatness and glory and righteousness of God and then overrun by our own sin and wickedness and shame? Christians of all people should lead the way in understanding and mourning and confessing sin. You see, it's the mark of the Pharisee to primarily see sin as out there, in those people. And believe me, the way that it seems some Christians are talking today, this is the kind of spirit that is being promoted exclusively, is to only see the sin in those people. But Christians... While we see the sin in the world, we see it first. We see the log in our own eye first. We see my greatest problem is not actually out there. It's in here, in this person. I am the worst of those people. Daniel confesses. Secondly, Daniel's petition, his request, what does he want God to do in light of this confession? Well, he wants God to have mercy. That's verse 16. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away. And then verse 18, open your eyes and see our desolations. And then he goes on in 19 to say, forgive and pay attention and act. Daniel wants God to show mercy. The destruction of Jerusalem, the exile, these are all expressions of God's anger, God's wrath against sin. Psalm 7 says that God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will whet his sword. And what Daniel is asking God to do is to put his sword away. Lift the weight of your wrath. Stop being angry. They don't deserve God's mercy, but Daniel calls on God to give it. And then the other side of the coin, not only give, uh, show, uh, show, have mercy, but give grace. This is the other side of the coin. So mercy is us not getting the punishment from God that we do deserve. Grace is the flip side where we get the favor and blessings of God that we don't deserve. And he asks for that in a phrase like this in verse 17, about halfway through it. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. He's asking for restoration. He's asking for favor. In Deuteronomy 31, God describes His anger against the sin of His people in this way. I will forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured. So when God's wrath is poured out, His face is hidden. He cannot even look at us. 
So restoration would mean God's face turning back and shining on His people again. It's a picture of blessing. And dear friends, it's something that we see in the gospel that we preach all the time. When Jesus is on the cross, He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is Deuteronomy 31, I will forsake them and hide my face from them. But God's face isn't hidden from Christ. The wrath of God is not poured out on Christ because of His sin. God's face is hidden and the sky goes dark and the wrath pours out because Jesus bears our sin in His body. You see, because we are sinners, God's face is hidden from us. And the Bible says we are under God's wrath and we will face eternal punishment. But Jesus endured that punishment for us on the cross so that all who turn from their sin and trust Jesus to save them will never taste the wrath of God. Think of it this way. God hid His face from Jesus so that if you will come to Him by faith, His face will turn toward you and shine on you, and you'll see the smile of God's favor and acceptance forever. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, The confession of your sin and that kind of petition that God would have mercy and show you grace and save you. That is the one I would plead with you to pray today. That is the one I would plead you, go to God, confess your sin, seek His mercy and grace, turn to Jesus in faith. You want to talk more about what what does that mean? I would love nothing more than to talk with you. Any member of this church would be glad to talk with you. The third thing we see is Daniel's motivation. What's driving his prayer? Why should God respond? Well, let me read verses 16 to 19 and let me emphasize what I think is Daniel's motivation. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, O Lord, Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. Oh, my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel wants God to work to answer his prayer for God's sake, for God's glory. They are God's people. Jerusalem is God's city. They're called by God's name. And, and these people 
because of their rebellion against God, have have become a byword. They have brought shame on the name of God. And so Daniel calls on God to act for the sake of his own great name. And, and friends, but friends, this isn't just Daniel's motivation. He's not saying, Lord, I know you haven't thought about this, but here's one reason that you could act is for your own sake. How about that? Consider that. No, no, no. He prays that because that's precisely what God says he will do. In Isaiah 48, for he, God says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? And that is precisely what Daniel is saying. How should your name be profaned, God? Defer your anger. Do it. And so we should be motivated in prayer by God's glory. When I told you about Hezekiah's prayer in chapter 37 of Isaiah. When he prayed, the last line of his prayer was this. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, the king of Assyria, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Why save us? Not so we can go on living. Not so we can keep doing stuff. But to show the world that you are the Lord. Translation, save us for your glory. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, what is the first thing he tells them to pray? Father, who art in our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, God, be glorified. Be set apart. Be hallowed. And so, here is Daniel praying in the same way. And whatever we pray for, friends, we should pray that the result will be glory for God. If you can't pray for it for God's glory, you probably ought not to pray for it. Give me grace to glorify you in the midst of this trial, God. Magnify your power and your mercy by healing, my friend. Save my son. Save my daughter to show that your arm isn't so short that you can't save him, that you can't save her. Strengthen Gray Road Baptist Church so that you will be glorified here and so that the testimony of your grace will shine brightly in this community. That's our motivation. The last thing is Daniel's foundation. What is the foundation of his prayer? He says it at the end of verse 18. We do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Daniel doesn't come to God on his own merit. He doesn't come to God because he's a Jew, saying, hey, God, I'm a Jew. Hey, I I can sing that song, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend, so listen up, God. No, 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 no. Now, Daniel is a friend of God, but he doesn't come on his own presumptive righteousness. He doesn't come because he thinks he's a righteous man at all. He knows he doesn't have any leverage with God. He knows he doesn't deserve an audience with the Almighty. So where does he pray? Well, he kneels to pray on the foundation of God's mercy. 
Only here do I know you will hear because you are merciful. And friends, we pray in the same way. We don't have, we don't, we don't come because of our righteousness. We don't come because of our merit. We don't come because we think we have leverage. We have none. We come to God in the name of mercy. Our merciful high priest, Jesus Christ, has made a way for us to come to God's throne and to be able to come boldly. And that boldness is because we come in His name. His name gives us the boldness, not ours. Tell them Jesus sent you when you go to the throne of grace. And so we come in Jesus' name. Why, why would we ever waste such access? Jesus has, give, Jesus has torn the veil in two and given us access to God. Why would, we, why would we waste it? Why wouldn't we plead that mercy and go in that mercy to God and pray? Why would we give up the benefits and the blessings of prayer? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Well, Daniel carries the nation to God in prayer. And he does it because he's read and understood God's Word. He knows who this God is, as can be clearly seen. He knows that God will act in response to prayer. And so in faith he goes, kneeling on mercy, asking for mercy and grace in his time of need. God's Word prompted Daniel to pray. And God's Word should prompt us to pray. Let's pray now. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord, and we come thankful that you have taught us how to commune with you in prayer. You have given us example after example after example of what it means to seek you, to knock so that the door will be opened to ask so that we will receive. Father, we confess that too many moments in too many days we are self-sufficient, prideful human beings. We do not think to pray. We do not think of our own need. We do not think how you stand ready to help the weak, to give strength and power. How often we forget that those who wait on the Lord in prayer will renew their strength.
God, we ask for your forgiveness for our slothful negligence of this most precious privilege of prayer. We pray that by your grace, you will give us the spiritual instinct to pray, to pray always, to pray continuously, that in all things we will pray That when we are tempted to anxiety and worry, we will pray. When we face situations where we have sinned greatly in the past, that we will pray. Where we know our weakness, that we will pray. And even when we don't feel our weakness, that we'll know it's there and pray. And Father, we ask that even this time in your word will prompt us to pray. Make us a people of prayer, for we, your house, ought to be a house of prayer. We thank you for these words and their encouragement to us. We pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For Christ's sake and in his name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. If you are a guest with us, even a regular visitor, thank you for being here. We do need